0: If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis.
1: My name is Corinne Pettit, and I'm here today with dermatologist and psychiatrist Dr. Evan Reeder at the Ronald O. Perlman Department of Dermatology at NYU Grossman School of Medicine at NYU Langone Health, where he is also an assistant professor of dermatology. Dr. Reeder also hosts the Dermatology Show on SiriusXM's Dr. Radio, where he discusses a variety of dermatologic issues. Dr. Reeder is one of the few physicians in the U.S. who is board certified in psychiatry and dermatology, which offers a unique perspective on the management and quality of life associated with skin diseases such as psoriasis. Such perspective makes him the perfect speaker to address the connection and impact of psoriasis and mental health issues such as depression and anxiety. Well, welcome, Dr. Reader. It's a pleasure to have you on Soundbites. Thank you for calling in today to address the very important topic of mental health and psoriatic disease. So we know that there's a strong association between psoriatic disease, depression, and anxiety. In fact, 39% of people with psoriatic disease are more likely to be diagnosed with depression and 31% with anxiety. Can you offer some insights as to why this association may be so strong and what's the underlying factor? Thank
2: you for having me today. It's really an honor to be with the National Psoriasis Foundation. I think in response to your question, a lot of the connection between psoriasis and mental health comorbidity is really intuitive. Our skin is often the element that we first show to the outside world, and it's the most likely target of first impressions from other people. And Naturally, it might follow that if our skin is in disrepair or suffering from a psoriasis flare, we may feel embarrassed to be seen in public, anxious about our social interactions or even depressed but as we are learning about the connections between psoriasis and mental health, we found out that there's actually much more deep underpinnings, particularly the ways in which depression, like psoriasis may be tied to systemic inflammatory states. We know that stress is uh, an exacerbant of both psoriasis and depression, and its presence can cause systemic dysregulation throughout the body through a complex interaction of hormones, immune mediator cells and neurotransmitters. And with chronic states of inflammation, this dysregulation can become self-sustaining. So there really is a biological connection between systemic diseases like psoriasis and some of the inflammatory states that can cause psychiatric disorders like depression and anxiety.
1: And given inflammation is a key factor, isn't it true this could be a physical, cyclic nature of chronic emotional stress that triggers psoriasis and vice versa?
2: Yeah, we often talk about the vicious cycle of stress, stress being, like I said, an exacerbating feature for both psoriasis and depression and anxiety. And these things can really feed off each other, whether it's psoriasis causing depression or depression causing psoriasis. Often we see this with our patients is that people get caught up in this cycle and it's very difficult to break. So 100%, this cyclic chronic nature of chronic emotional stress can trigger psoriasis And the reverse can happen as well.
1: And could age of onset of psoriasis be a factor in the development of depression and anxiety?
2: You know, I don't think we have entirely worked out the age of onset of psoriasis and how it interacts with depression and anxiety. But we do have some data that suggests that earlier onsets of psoriasis can be associated with higher rates of suicide. And you could extrapolate from that data that depression likely mirrors the data from suicide, although I can't cite the papers for a fact. We do know that like many inflammatory states, psoriasis has two large peaks of of onset in life in the 20s and 30s and in the 50s and 60s. And somewhat unsurprisingly, some of the major psychiatric illnesses, which are thought to have some degree of immune dysregulation, have similar peaks of onset and presentation.
1: That's an interesting correlation. So in addition to physical impact, what could also be driving this relationship? I know you mentioned perception of one's appearance as a factor, how people may stare or talk about your skin.
2: Yeah, I think perception plays a large role, and it's one that we haven't completely worked out, but it's one I, I talk about because I think perception is important both from the perspective of the person who's living with psoriasis and from the perception of the outside observer. First impressions are really important in all of our human interactions. I wish they weren't, but that's sort of a a fact of life. And we sort of wear psoriasis on our skin. And for a lot of people, it's very difficult to completely conceal it. And when psoriasis is affecting the parts of the skin that are public-facing, it can affect the way that we feel about ourselves in terms of self-confidence and in terms of the way that we feel other people are reacting to us. And it can also affect the ways that other people react to people with psoriasis. Typically, this comes from a point of ignorance. People tend to feel that If they don't know what they're looking at, they may feel like psoriasis is infectious or contagious and they may withdraw from interactions or they may bring family members or social contacts away from people who are carrying the the stigmata of psoriasis. So I think that perception is an area that we need to talk about much more than we're doing, but it's a really important one in the way that we interact with the outside world.
1: And can how people react to perceptions cause anxiety? What are the typical symptoms of anxiety?
2: I think with psoriasis, we can see really two different forms of anxiety. We can see generalized anxiety and we can see social anxiety. Generalized anxiety is really a condition of worry. It's people who have excessive worry. They're, They're preoccupied with worry. They have difficulty managing worry. And there can be different systemic effects that happen. People feel fatigued. They may feel irritable. They may have difficulty concentrating. They may have muscle tension, difficulties with sleep. And generalized anxiety affects the the way we interact with the world in terms of our work and school and social life. Social anxiety is one that hasn't been worked out as much with psoriasis, but it's one that uh, anecdotally we see all the time. It's marked fear or, or anxiety about social situations in which people are sort of exposed to the possible scrutiny by others and I think that's one that people with living with psoriasis can really relate to because like I talked about with perception, a lot of people living with psoriasis have a concern about the way that their skin looks and they have a concern about the way that the other people may be scrutinizing the details about their skin and their own perceptions albeit sort of misinformed and based on ignorance about psoriasis and about its levels of contagion and infectivity, of which we know that there are zero, but the general public doesn't know that. But people with living with social anxiety or social situations can provoke a lot of fear and anxiety, and they have a lot of difficulty interacting socially because of this.
1: Since you mentioned psoriasis could be associated with fear of judgment, dating and long-term relationships outside of immediate family members, What can someone do to overcome such fears?
2: Yeah, I think it's really hard because with psoriasis, we can see major impact on quality of life in general. This goes for social functioning. This goes for occupational functioning. This can affect intimacy with intimate partners and lead to behaviors that can worsen psoriasis, like cigarettes and alcohol, which sometimes people use as forms of self-medication. And we know that can be factors that can worsen psoriasis. So I think that one of the things that I try to convey to people living with psoriasis, is that education is so important. Education to your immediate circle is probably the most important thing. The people who are going to be coming in and out of your daily life, your family and your close friends, education of those individuals about psoriasis, about what you're living with, about the fact that this is not an infectious condition, about the fact that it may be a systemic condition where there may be inflammation in other organ systems, whether that's inflammation that's causing depression, anxiety, inflammation that's causing cardiovascular disease, and it's about destigmatization. So taking away the point of ignorance and letting people know that this is an obstacle, a hurdle in life, just like many others, but it's something that people can live a healthy, normal life with, and that it's nothing that that should, in an ideal world, affect our intimate and our social interactions with other people.
1: So I've heard that cognitive behavioral therapy, also known as CBT, is one effective method to help those who have psoriasis challenge their emotional thought patterns and responses. Can you explain how CBT works?
2: Yes, CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is based on several core parents principles. It's basically a type of talk therapy that is time limited, that is based on a lot of evidence. And it's not one of these talk therapies that goes on forever without any Sort of end date in sight and without any sort of end goal in mind. Um, it's based on the core principles that psychological problems are based, in part at least, on faulty or unhelpful ways of thinking. And they're based on learned patterns of unhelpful behavior. And people suffering from psychological disorders can learn better ways of coping with them. Because they're able to cope better, they're able to relieve the symptoms that they're going through, whether they're anxiety or depression or eating disorders, there's all sorts of different modalities of, and programs of cognitive behavioral therapy to treat a whole laundry list of psychological dysfunctioning. And through a, a cognitive behavioral therapy program, people can not only learn better ways of coping, but they can be more effective in the way that they go throughout their daily lives.
1: Yeah. Thank you for explaining what cognitive behavioral therapy is. And can you offer an example of a situation where cognitive behavioral therapy would be helpful?
2: So, I mean, basically what you would do is you would be in a situation where a person in cognitive behavioral therapy would learn to recognize the distortions in their thinking that are creating problems and then to reevaluate them and sort of light of what's actually what's going on in a reality-based situation where they can talk about it with a therapist and they can do something called reality testing to see if they're distorting their beliefs or what they're actually going through is is reality-based. And with that, they can get a better understanding of the behavioral and the motivation, and then they can use problem-solving skills to sort of cope with these difficult situations in the future and develop a greater sense of confidence in your own abilities going forward. So one can imagine an example of a situation where someone may have depression that's associated with psoriasis, and they may feel that because of my skin, I am unlovable or no one will want to be with me, whether that's platonic relationship or a romantic relationship. And in a cognitive behavioral therapy session, you can see that actually psoriasis is just a small part of who you are. And it's maybe a hurdle, just like any other chronic medical condition. And it's something that can be overcome. And by putting yourself out there, being able to reality test and recognize that this is, again, a small part of who you are, and it doesn't define you, you can put yourself out there, you can learn to accept rejection. You can also learn to move forward if you are rejected in social or romantic situations and you can keep moving forward, knowing that this is, again, a part of the whole picture, but not something that has to define your life going forward.
1: That's really good advice. Are there any pharmacological treatment options to help with either depression or anxiety?
2: There's a lot of different pharmacological treatment options. And I think it really depends on the school of thought of the person that you're seeking for mental health counseling, or if you're seeing a doctor who's prescribing medications. The way that I've been trained, and it's more of like an East Coast of the United States philosophy, it's more of talk therapy before we put people on medications, but there's sort of a traditional divide in the United States between more East Coast psychiatry and West Coast psychiatry. We use a lot more talk therapy in the East Coast, with whether that's more cognitive behavioral therapies, which can be, again, time limited and very effective to give you those coping skills to move forward in your life in a productive way. Unlike a medication where the, where if a medication is being helpful and you take away that medication, you won't have any skill set to help you move forward. But we often use medications like SSRIs or medications that may be familiar to you, Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, Welbutrin. These are antidepressants that can be helpful for both depression and anxiety. And there's other medications that are very helpful for anxiety and more of a short-term medications like benzodiazepines, like Xanax, that can be helpful in a situation when people are really going through crippling anxiety can help them through a situation where they're having difficulty navigating social and occupational challenges, or even the the process of going through a a psychotherapy. So there's lots of different tools that we have at our disposal. But again, my personal philosophy is always want to talk therapy if we can do it, and then medications would be a second line of defense.
1: It seems that treating psoriatic disease as a whole, the mind-body connection, is really the best approach. Do you agree with this approach?
2: I think so for some people. I think for a lot of people living with psoriasis, it's really just limited to the skin and they could put some topical corticosteroids on from time to time. Maybe they'll do some light therapy and they'll get better. But for a lot of people who have systemic involvement and have psoriasis that's severe. We have to think about it more holistically. We have to think about what psoriasis is doing to the heart, what it's doing to the blood sugar, what it's doing to our body weight, what it's doing to our brain, and what it's doing to our skin and our joints. have to think about this stuff holistically. And for a lot of the people, it's about breaking that cycle of stress and getting out of that vicious cycle. Once you can break that cycle, it becomes easier to let up on the skin disease, to let up on the joints, and to let up on what's going on in the brain and the body. But yeah, that holistic approach can be very helpful for people who are really struggling to live with psoriasis that's affecting them on a systemic level.
1: And how can we spread the word that treating both the body and the mind are important factors in addressing psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis? We hear about the reluctance to go on a systemic therapy despite the impact of inflammation on the body, which you just mentioned. How can we encourage more people to think about the overall effect on the body?
2: Yeah, I think it's really hard. I think in an ideal world, none of us are on any medications. And I think making the jump to be on a cream can be a lot for some people. Making the jump to be on a pill can be a lot for some people. And making a jump to be on an injection medication is, I think, a a difficult jump for everyone to go on to. And I think that even in a world that's sort of post-fact, right? it's difficult to, to talk to some people when truth isn't truth for a lot of people anymore. And so we, often I tell people to look at the facts. We look at these medications, these biologic medications. While you may, wanna, may not want to take an injection, these are medications that help everything about psoriasis. They decrease systemic inflammation and, and in a lot of ways that we can think about them as antidepressants because we have people who go through the trials and we see not only that their skin gets better, but their depression scores get better as well. But I think it's really helpful to try to meet people where they are and as doctors, what we try to do is develop the relationship first. For people who are ready to go on biologics, we go on biologics together but for people who are not ready for them, we give people information and when they're ready for that to make the next step, we sort of go down that road for them. But I think sort of destigmatization and recognizing that the med- these systemic medications, these biologic medications are exceedingly safe, they're exceedingly effective, and they keep getting better and better and better. And not only treating it psoriasis of the skin, but psoriasis of the joints and treating depression and the whole body together. But I think it's a really big challenge. And I think education helps to a certain extent, but also recognizing that everybody comes into the world of medicine with their own cultural experiences, their own social experiences, and their own biases and hesitancies and working with everybody as an individual and sort of going through the process with them and taking baby steps when we have to taking big steps when we're ready to do it together is I find the best option because not everybody's ready to make that leap.
1: What a great response. Thank you. And where can someone go if they need to find a mental health counselor or a psychiatrist such as yourself?
2: I wish they were easier to do in the United States, but with our healthcare system being the way that it is, it can be difficult. Two resources that I think are the most important to look at are the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which has a ton of information, educational materials, advocacy services, support and public awareness so that all individuals and families affected by mental illness can build better lives. They have a ton of information on their website about understanding mental illness and getting connected to resources. And then If you're insured, it's really helpful to look at your network of providers. So that can be helpful to finding someone who's in network who can accept your insurance. Psychology Today is a really good website where you can find people local in your area who take your insurance. And then with the Internet being what it is now and. A post-COVID world, people do online therapy now. I know when I see my own psychiatrist, it's online and it's not weird. I thought it was going to be weird, but it's not. And then I also refer people to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's 1-800-273-8255 in cases of emergency. But there's a lot of resources out there. Unfortunately, you have to be educated about how to best navigate them. And I think those are some of the first best steps to take in trying to navigate the world of mental health in America.
1: Thank you, Dr. Reeder, for providing such a great resource to help those in need of mental health services. And lastly, what final comments would you like to share with our listeners today?
2: I'd just like to end with a couple of thoughts, and that is psoriasis. We know that it's a systemic disease of the skin and the joints, cardiovascular system, but increasingly we're seeing that psoriasis is also a disease of the brain as well. It can cause depression and anxiety. And we're looking at other outcomes as well for many, many people living with this condition. So it's really important to break the cycle of stress and it's really important to sort of destigmatize this for the people, the f- friends and family in your life, and so they can understand what you're going through. And I would just like to destigmatize the field of the mental health professions. I always tell my patients, I see my psychiatrist myself, it's a, it's a time where it's 30 minutes or an hour just dedicated to you and to sort of help you deal with the things that you're going through in in your life, whether that's socially or occupationally or that's medically. And I would like people who are living with psoriasis and needing extra help to think about this holistically and to sort of reach out to mental health providers that can be really helpful in, in going through this process.
1: Well, thank you again, Dr. Reeder, for providing a vision of hope for those who have psoriatic disease, depression, and anxiety. Your comments about the systemic effects and tips you provided are very helpful, and I hope we'll reach someone in need. If you would like more information, contact the Patient Navigation Center to request a free Emotional Impacts Quick Guide, which offers tips on how to handle social stigma and manage relationships. Request your copy today by calling 1-800-723-9166 or by emailing education at psoriasis.org.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Ghana, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.